As a pastor, I'm constantly concerned about how to create connections beyond just the weekend services. And one of the valuable tools that we have found for achieving this at our church is our app powered by Subsplash. It's one thing to have an app. It's another thing to have an app that has the ability to allow your community to access messages, resources, and even give. And Subsplash created that for us. It's become our go-to platform for connecting with our congregation in ways we never could have before. Subsplash is so much more than just a platform or even just an app. It brings people together, empowers giving, and transforms lives. If you're interested in learning more, I encourage you to visit their website at subsplash.com. That's S-U-B-S-P-L-A-S-H.com. Subsplash.com. Following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. Join us each week as we work to make faith simple. This is Simple Faith. Well, hello, friends. My name is Rusty George. Honored to have you listening today and honored to get to share with you a little trip down memory lane. Recently, my wife and I and now our two kids over the last uh, 20 years have completed 20 years of ministry here at Real Life Church. And what a blessing it has been, filled with all kinds of highs and lows. And our good friend Michael Hinton, uh, fellow teacher, uh, co-leader, and also podcaster, sat down with me a few weeks ago and asked me, what are some of the things that you learned? And our team wanted to share those with you. So today, we're going to do a little bit of a what'd you learn in 20 years uh, conversation between Michael and myself. I hope you get something out of it. If nothing else, you might get a laugh. Uh, as we talk about some of the good, the bad, and the ugly of our 20 years here at Real Life, and just basically the faithfulness of God through it all. I also want to thank Subsplash for sponsoring this podcast. Before Subsplash, we had content, we had an app, we had a website, but they found a way to pull it all together. And they're able to give our people messages, resources, extra videos, extra services, things that they need, but also to create a great giving platform as well. Now, giving is not just a once a week thing. Now, giving is not just a please go to our website, but it's right there in people's pocket and they can participate in generosity all throughout the service and all throughout the week. So make sure that you check out subsplash.com. Well, I'm excited for you to hear my conversation with Michael. Hope you get something out of it. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can hit me up on Instagram, at Rusty L. George, on Twitter, at Rusty L. George, and also through my website, Pastor Rusty George. I want to thank Michael Hinton for being a part of not just this interview, but a part of the real life story and a part of my life. He's become such a great friend and such a trusted voice in my life. And if you're in the Florida area, you may want to check out Summit Church. What a great, great place that is, thanks to his new leadership there. He's also got a great podcast called Simply Christian, and that is reaching its next season very, very soon. So make sure that you check that out. Well, here's my conversation with Michael Hinton, or better yet, his conversation with me. Here we go. Well, hey, everybody. This is Michael Hinton, a little bit different than Rusty George. Uh, I'm joining him today to talk about the 20-year celebration of you being at Real Life Church, Rusty. Wow. 20 years. Two decades. Two decades. Unbelievable. That's crazy. Yeah. It's a long time, man. I mean, especially in this day and age where a lot of leaders don't last five years leading a church, you have 20 years here. Yeah. I think, um, 
You know, I've been around guys that have had tremendous longevity, um, especially the church I worked at in Kentucky. They had a guy that was there 40 years, yeah. you know, and I've known some others that have lasted 30 or 40 years at a place and had tremendous success. Some, obviously, there are situations where they overstay their welcome. Yeah. Um, and I always thought, you know what, I, I want to stay as long as I can, as long as the Lord allows. Um, but I also have friends that have been places for five or seven years and then and then move on. So um, I'm just, I feel really, really blessed to be able to be in the same place for this amount of time. Yeah. Well, when you look back on 20 years, did it, uh, did it turn out how you thought it would? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, I remember I was serving a church in Kentucky as their associate pastor, working with Mike Bro, and I was having a great time. And um, you know, I sensed God might be doing something. Uh, my wife and I have been talking about, you know, we probably need to think a little bit about what what is next for us as far as I knew I wanted to be a lead pastor one day, much like you knew that in your life. And I just didn't know where or when. And when California called, I thought, I am not moving to California. Mm. Uh, it's a place you visit, not a place you live. And I just thought, that's crazy. And my wife, uh, as soon as I told her, she started crying and she said, I just know that's where you're supposed to be. Wow. So it's odd how much the Holy Spirit's voice sounds a lot like my wife's. It does. You know? It does. Um, she likes to remind me of that as well. But, uh, you know, what I think the way I expected it was, first of all, it was great fear because the only thing us Midwesterners know about California is, you know, gangs and surfing. And I thought, boy, I don't want to raise my kids, you know, uh, in a gang. So uh, I was nervous about that. Uh, but then we visited, fell in love with the people of real life. I'll never forget, you know, talking with the elders of real life when I first got here and just hearing them talk about their relationship with Jesus and what God had been doing in their life and the heart for the church. And the church was about two years, two and a half years old at the time. So you ask, you know, what did I think it would become? I really believed that we would always be in movie theaters. Wow. Because we were in a movie theater at the time. Uh, I was tracking what Mark Batterson was doing up in D.C., where he was just slowly taking over movie theaters that were close to the subway up in D.C. and doing campuses that way. I was tracking what Larry Osborne was doing down at North Coast and near San Diego, and they had created multi-venues, different styles of services yeah. on one campus, but multiple locations still on the same property. And I just thought, boy, it's cheaper. We don't have to raise money for a building. We don't have to go through the heartache of building a building and then when things break and all that. Yeah. And movie theaters are great because people know what to expect when they walk in. So I really felt like we're just going to grab movie theaters all over the place. And I even had the slogan, real life church coming to a theater near you. Ooh. Yeah. So I just thought, boy, this is going to be simple. Well, I got out here and I quickly figured out that because of the high Catholic population as far as like their past... They didn't view anything as legit till you had your own cathedral. Yeah. And they didn't view anything as real until they could actually physically walk into a building you called your own. So when we finally did build a building about, you know, eight years later, um, the amount of people that showed up and said, yeah, we saw the sign and we thought we'd show up when you guys finally opened, they were stunned that we had been around that long wow. in a movie theater and a high school. So. How did I think it would start uh, or be? I just assumed it'd be a bunch of movie theaters and we'd be piping the message everywhere and it would be a lot of fun that way. But God had other plans. He did. 
Great, and thank goodness he did. <clears throat> I think one of the one of my most favorite stories that you tell about the beginning is is not actually about the building, but is actually about when your family moved into the neighborhood and you guys are headed to uh, the pool. Uh, tell that story for your listeners. Oh man. Yeah, I've told that a lot of churches around the country, but uh, it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. But now it's become the favorite story that I tell. Uh, you know, we just we just moved here from Kentucky. Uh, nobody had pools. We didn't swim. You know, I mean, you know, you've lived in Kentucky. Yep. You swim in creeks. You know, <laughs> That's right. Or, or as they say, creeks. <laughs> um, so we get out here, and we thought we got to get to know the neighbors. And they had a community pool, so let's go. Let's go swim with them and. Lindsay was nine months old at the time. We thought get her a little suit and she can float around with us. And so we went to the the mall and it was June. So by June, all the swimsuits had already sold out. And I found I found a suit and it was bright orange. And I thought, okay, whatever. Um, so we go down to the pool and people are coming out and I'm in the water with Lindsay and Lori and People are, you know, kind of filing into the community pool, and I thought this is a great chance to meet people. So I hand Lindsay over to Lori, and I said, I'm going to go meet people. So I get out of the pool, dripping wet, walk around, say hi to people, tell them a little about, you know, who I am and the church and all that. Get back in the water, and Lori looks at me and says, what is wrong with your suit? And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and there's all these blue images all over the suit. It's one of those that when it gets wet, these images appear, and it was topless women. <laughs> All over the suit. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you know. And here I am walking around. Hey, new pastor in town. New you pastor, know, real life. Real yeah. life church, clothing optional. <laughs> so it was uh, it was an epic moment. Um, and usually every time I tell that story, I have two reactions. One is that was hilarious. And the other is, do you still have the suit? Yes. And I do not. Oh. So uh, I think somebody around here wanted to buy it from me, but not going to happen. Well, I don't care what anyone says. I think that's a win. And it's honestly, <laughs> it's indicative of just real life church, just being this place where you can be real and authentic and mm-hmm. however you show up. And uh, yeah, yes. very come as you are. Yeah, definitely. very come as you are. Yeah. Speaking of, of wins, like, so looking back on the 20 years that you, you've had the privilege to lead this this beautiful community, what would you say were some of just the, just the things that God just blew you away with? Well, uh, I would say, wow, and there's so many. I, I mean, in the early days, I just never thought anybody would come back. Mm. <laughs> so every weekend people would show up. I would view that as a miracle right up there with the parting of the Red Sea. <laughs> um, but being able to get land in, yeah. a, in a place where it's so difficult, uh, being able to uh, raise the money to, to buy the land and build a building, um, it was just, you know, just a God story in and of itself. Yeah. But then the, um, you know, the life change stories of people getting baptized and people put names on rocks and put them in the ground where yeah. the baptistry would sit. Um, and to have people come up to me, you know, after a baptism service and say, hey, their name's on a rock, you wow. know, or now they have bricks, their name's on a brick. And to hear some of those kind of stories is so cool. Beach baptisms, you know, that was always just one of the highlights for yeah. me of, you know, seeing so many people. Well, I'll never forget talking to a guy on the beach, and he had a he had a British accent. And I said, "Oh, well, you you know, when'd you move out here?" And he said, "Oh, I still live in London, but I watch online, and I flew out here to get baptized." Wow! I haven't told you that. No. Yeah, wow. it was uh, it was really cool, and awesome. I you know would tell people all the time, "Hey, you think you live far away? You know, come on." Right. So he got baptized. Just a really cool story. Um, I remember our first rooted celebration. You know, the, pretty much the whole church went through rooted together, and then we had a big party to celebrate. And 
the life change stories from that. Easter's where we do the cardboard testimonies, you know, and people would share their life transformation stories. And you know how it is. There's just, you know, life on life. You get to hear some of these these yeah. these stories. And then when it becomes personal for you, you know, I got to baptize my kids here. Yeah. I got to baptize neighbors here. Um, it's just um, some some really powerful moments that uh, I don't think I'll ever forget. Yeah, man. I mean, that's a life full. That's a that's a life full of moments that that not many people get the chance or opportunity to to be a part of. Yeah, yeah. I'm really blessed. But at the same time, I'm sure you would. Mm. You probably think about some of the things that you wished uh, had gone differently, had had been done differently, the different decisions, some yeah. regrets. Yeah, definitely. I, I think back to when we first moved in the building, you know, we were a staff of about eight people uh, serving about 1,200 people, um, which they say you need one person per 100 people. So we were already understaffed, and then we grew to like 3,600 in about six months, Wow! still with eight people. So we had to start hiring quickly, which we didn't really have money for, but... God was good and provided resources at the time, and we started hiring people quickly. And it became really apparent that the people that had been here before the building really didn't like the people who were here since the building, you know, as far as on staff. Yeah. There was this kind of competition, and you know what, I uh, I was here before you, and the new people saying, yeah, but you don't know how to get to the next level, and there was just all this animosity. So we had to do a lot of work on that and really create better culture um, we've had, you know, staff tragedies as, uh, many churches have, uh, where, you know, people had made bad decisions, um, just horrific events that I wish, man, I wish I could get another day before those events and yeah. try to try to stop that or fix that in some way. Uh, and we've just had, you know, we're uh, church staff is just a bunch of broken people, right. you know, trying to, to do ministry together and, and not everybody always sees that. They just yeah. assume, hey, if I join the church staff, it's, you know, it's it's Christian camp every day, <laughs> you know. A lot of Bible studies and prayer and everybody gets along. But man, we're all people. We all That's have right. our issues. And so sometimes those come out. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I, I, I love what you said. That There is this misconception, you know, people look at the church staffing from the outside and they assume that, you know, pretty much all day, all we're doing is reading, praying, and saying kumbaya together. And right. They don't realize that there are imperfect people trying to lead this this beautiful, imperfect bride of Christ. And there's so we're going to bring all our baggage and luggage in there. And then you being at the top of the, of the leadership chain, you're having to lead through all of that. Yeah, it's, a, it's this weird dynamic. And Somebody uh, told me this years ago, and I've talked about it before on the podcast about the 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 weird the weirdness for someone who's in the church that comes on staff. Which, if you're on a church staff, you always want to hire from within because they have the same DNA and right. they came to Christ here and all that. But the problem is, is now the place they worship is now their place of business. Absolutely, their pastor is now their boss. You know, you get to kind of see behind the curtain, and people are people, and they make yep. mistakes. And so there's a lot of, boy, I didn't, you know, it's like getting to see the wizard, you know, and the Wizard of Oz. I didn't realize that they're just as broken as me. And so I think we had to do a lot of right-sizing there as to this is your how your expectations should be. But the other other thing is that somebody told me years ago, you know, the enemy wants to stop what it is you're doing. And if he can't get to you, Mm. he'll go at the staff. Yes. And I told people early on when they came on staff, boy, you need to go ahead and enlist three or four people that are just praying for you all the time because this is not like you're working at Costco. Right. You know, the enemy doesn't care, 
if you hand out samples and you know in a great way or a bad way. Obviously, God cares about your spiritual yes. formation, but the enemy is not trying to necessarily derail Costco, uh, but he is trying to derail the church. And so, I would tell people all the time, have people praying for you, and I could always tell the ones that would make the mistakes or have the issues were those that did not have that prayer mm. support, and the enemy got to them. And as you know, we typically say ministry is like a vice, and yes. it just keeps cranking up, and whatever's in you will come out of you. And that could be anger issues. Yep. That could be PTSD from an abusive relationship you were in. That could be your own insecurities. That could be an addiction. And that could be just stuff you haven't tended to. It will come out. And uh, unfortunately, you know, when you're the lead guy of a growing staff and a growing church, a lot of your time pastoring is the pastoring of the staff yes. as they try to pastor the church. And um, sometimes I, I don't know, I know I didn't do a very good job of that. Well, I, I, I'll attest to, I think you did as best as you possibly could. I even remember coming on staff and, and one of our first conversations was around that very topic of mm. who's in your life, wh- what relationships are you making? Because they're going to be the most important people for you as you serve in the, the role that I was serving in. It was a very stressful role. And uh, and so I would say that, yeah, I think you did the best you could in, in, in the leadership capability. <laughs> now... You are a leader, but you've also had leaders in your own life. Yeah. And so what I want to know is over these last 20 years, what has been maybe the most important leadership lesson you've learned as a leader of a person who's leading people and being led by other people? Wow, there's so much good stuff that I've picked up from other people, and I just so value the leadership wisdom from people like Gene Apple and mm-hmm. Mike Bro. Yep. Um some of my closest friends, Mark White, Rob McDowell, Justin Moxley, Shane Phillip, um, Dave Dummett. These guys have really poured into my life. Um, Larry Osborne has been uh, just a, a gift to me. Uh, but I always come back to a, a, a few things. I remember asking a guy, and this is one of my favorite questions to ask guys that have been in ministry longer than me. Um, what do you know now you wish you'd known, you'd known earlier? You mm, know? Yeah. And I remember this guy from here in town, uh, here in Santa Clarita, a great pastor, he said, well, a couple things. One, no one's ever going to write a book about me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So stop living like, you know, you're going to be, uh, you know, deified when you die. Uh I mean, it's just, you you know, you you live, you die, and you're forgotten. That's it. So preach preach the gospel, and and then that's it. Uh, But he, he said, when people call you because they have a problem in their life, He said, it's like they've called you over to their house, and they've taken a two-liter bottle and shaken it up and opened it all over the living room, and they want you to put it back in the bottle. Man. He said, you're never going to fix anybody. Hmm. Only Jesus can. And I I remember just kind of being struck by that. This is early on in ministry, and I thought, oh, yeah, I'm paid to fix people. That's that's my job, right? That's my job. (laughs) And he said, you're not going to do it. You can walk with them. You can help them yield to Jesus, Mm -hmm. and he can fix them, but you're not putting that two-liter back in the bottle. And that was really helpful for me. Uh, It was very freeing to know that I'm going to walk with you through some of the darkest days of life, but I can't fix it, you know? You know, when you stand beside somebody who's just lost their child because of a school shooting or because of cancer, you can't fix that. And you can't have that perfect little quote you say, and then they go, oh, it makes total sense. Thank you. You just get to walk with them through it. Uh, The other piece of wisdom that I I hold on to is every church crisis lasts two weeks. Hmm. You know, it's... uh, 
I think I got this from from Ed Young Jr. Okay. He said, you just watch the calendar. Uh, Every crisis, no matter how big it is, will be gone in two weeks because people are so selfish they get back to their own problems. Mm. And he has been right. Uh, Every flare-up we've had, every, oh, we're never going to get over this, every somebody's railing against us on social media, the way the news feed works now, it goes away so quick. And that doesn't mean that you just get to be you know, crazy and do whatever you want. But in those dark nights of the soul, when you're thinking, man, I don't know if we'll ever overcome this. I don't know if I can bounce back from this. I don't know if the church will ever you know, move beyond this. Eh, give it two weeks. Yeah. Man, that's so good. There's a lot of nuggets in there that you mm. could just pick apart. I, I, I mean, I specifically just think about you know, the, the idea that you can't fix people, Mm. um, you know, as an Enneagram three myself, uh, (laughs) there's this notion, there's this, there's this misconception in my head that, oh, I am the problem solver. I can do all things (laughs) through Christ who strengthens me, which is by the way, a misinterpretation of that verse, just so you know. Um, but what, one of the things that Based on that premise, one of the things that has really stuck out to me about knowing you, Rusty, and knowing your leadership acumen, what has the one leadership thing that has stuck with me this whole time is this idea of asking more questions, hmm. making fewer statements. And I think that pans out in almost every aspect of, of ministry in being a pastor, going back to fixing people. I don't have there's no magical statement when somebody sits down across the room and says they just lost their child mm-hmm. or their mom just died unexpectedly of a brain bleed when they were just going in for a normal surgery. Right. Like there, there's nothing I can say in that moment. No. And so one of the things that I always come back to is us sitting in our, our team meeting, our executive team meeting, and you, you were telling me, you said, you know, hey, it would be great. Ask more questions. Make fewer statements. That'll win you more chips along mm-hmm. the way. Explain that. Yeah, and that, that comes from one of my early mentors and still a very close friend, the guy I worked with in Kentucky named Monty Wilkinson, been a guest on the show. He, um, he just taught me the value of asking people's opinions. He said, you never value people more than when you ask for what they think. And I thought, man, and I would watch him do this with people that I would go, they're not important. They're not mm-hmm. on the, you know, the org chart. I mean, why are you asking them that? Right. But the way they would light up and he'd always glean something from it, but it just taught me, man, that every, everybody's clamoring to be heard, mm. and none of us are listening. So if you just stop and listen, you may actually find a nugget in there, and you mm. may not, but you add value to that person when yes. you ask questions. And so you know, we started using a statement around here of um, questions go down, statements go up. Mm-hmm. So you know, when we would have meetings, I'd want to know the statements from what you're hearing or what we're learning or what I need to know, but... When you're leading a team meeting, be the most curious person in the room because the answers are usually sitting out there, but it usually takes two or three questions to peel back the onion far enough to get to the real issue of the problem. Uh, And then there's usually somebody on the team that that can make a decision uh, and and figure it out. I've been reading this book I was telling you about called American Icon about the the, the Alan Mulally who fixed Ford Motors uh, and rescued it. And it's fascinating. He comes into work there. And he said, every meeting we get together, everybody would just read the positive stuff. And he said, it was killing me until finally one day somebody said, okay, I got a problem. And so when he did that, then it became a chance for him to say to the team, okay, who can help build with that issue? And now it became a rally around that person rather than a, oh, you're in trouble. So I just think questions help you get at that. And I, I attribute that all to Monty. Yeah. 
Man, that's good. I've tried to use that uh, a lot more. I wasn't really good at it when you first told me about it. Uh, <laughs> well, you're a three. I was, I'm a three, you're so a three. I like to make statements. Yeah. But uh, the more and more I've, I've, I've grown in my leadership, the more and more I, I'm trying to be more curious. Because you're right. I mean, you you when you ask good questions, you know, Andy Stanley talks about asking mm-hmm. the, the right questions. When you, when you ask the right questions, you're able to actually get down to the root of what the issue is is act, what is actually going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've learned that very much. One of the other things I've learned <clears throat> from you is, you know, real life has <laughs> real life has this moniker that uh, the inside moniker of RLC stands for real likely to change. Mm. Um, just over the course of the 20 years, you know, real life has never been afraid to take risks, to explore, to say, hey, what are ways that we can continue to reach people, right? To help people find and follow Jesus. How have you over the course of the 20 years, balance that, hey, we want to be risk takers, but we also want to be wise stewards of what God has given us. Mm. Hey, let me interrupt for just a second. If you're a church leader and your church does not have an app or your app seems to be a little bit limited, check out subsplash.com as a great resource to really give your app all the horsepower that it needs. You can connect people, you can help them get access to messages, and you can help them set up recurring giving, which is a game changer when it comes to resourcing your ministry, subsplash.com. Okay, back to our episode. Yeah, I think that's there again. We've had a, a board of elders that has really helped me on some of that to kind of pull the reins back. I mean, I, in the early days, it, well, in a lot of days, it was always <laughs> the craziest idea wins. Yeah. You know, we had the slogan of no church is doing this, you know, <laughs> uh, and I and I love that. There's something really energizing about that. Um, I remember, man, early on, we were we didn't have a building. So to do Christmas Eve service, uh, we had to rent out a hotel ballroom. And I remember at the hotel ballroom telling everybody we were going to do Easter on top of the parking garage at town center. <laughs> yes. Did I have approval for this? No. <laughs> but it, we, it came up in a brainstorming session, and I thought, that would be so cool. You know, the sun's coming up, and you're on top of the tallest building in Santa Clarita, and we know we're going to have a worship fest, and it's going to be awesome. Well, there was no way they were going to let us do that, because somebody yeah. could fall off the edge, and right. the whole mall is liable. Anyway, so... Yeah, I learned really quickly that just because it's an idea doesn't mean it's a good idea, right. you know. <laughs> and uh, and I, you know, we we've taken some big swings on things. Our first Halloween party we ever did, um, you know, we had a guy on staff named Steve, who's probably been my longest friend ever, and he was on our staff for a long time. And he was doing student ministry, and he said, I think we need to blow it out for Halloween. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, everybody wants to do something that's safe for their kids. They don't know where to go. And we got to get them in our building. Our building had just opened. Right. They need to see what this place is. They've never been inside. And that was the beauty of the movie theater. Yep. Everybody knows what it looks like. I said, okay, what are you thinking? He said, let's do a big Halloween party. And, I, and he goes, and we're not going to call it Hallelujah Harvest, you know? <laughs> Uh, I love that. Name. Yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> we're not going to call it, you know, fall festival or something. We're going to call it Halloween at real life, and we're going to attract a lot of unchurched people. And we did, and oh, you know, it was insane the amount of people that showed up. And every year it got a little bigger, a little bigger, a little bigger, until we began to, you know, figure out. Okay, I don't know if we're reaching the unchurched people as much as we thought we were. So we did surveys and figured out we're really just hosting a lot of people that go to other churches or our church. So we stopped it. So that was one of the things where we thought, that's not good stewardship of the resources we have. You know, there was a time where 
you know, we were animal crazy, where we would have an animal at every large event. Because I really believe if you attract the kids, you attract the family. So let's have a big animal. We'll put it up on the postcard and, you know, mail it all over town. I took so much heat from other churches. And eventually PETA got involved and threatened to pick it. And these are working animals yeah, you know, that yeah. work in movies. Yeah. It's not like they, we just stole one from the, a safari. Um, but the church gets a hold of it, and now we're bad. Now we're bad, right. But, we, man, we had a giraffe. We had a lion. You know, it was just so fun. Not together. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it was so – it's just fun. Uh, and, you know, we took some big risks. And I think over time, we just began to tell people, hey, we're going to do anything, as Groeschel says, short of sin yes. to reach people. And some of these ideas will not work, and mm. that's okay. Uh, we tried a, um, a service. We were doing Sunday night service. We tried a second Sunday night service called Last Call, okay. which was very aggressive music um, and kind of more experiential, and it, it didn't work. Mm. You know, It was fun for those that liked it, but it yeah. didn't really work, so we, so we killed it. We tried an acoustic service in, a, in the coffee house, and that was cool, but... It, Again, it wasn't worth the resources we were putting into it for the amount of return we were getting. So I think we just learned early on, let's be willing to try anything. And yeah. when you're portable for so long, you learn that anything can happen. Right. Um, and give it a go. Yeah, and I, I love that. I love I love churches that, and especially real life, obviously, because I worked here, um, that could say, okay, God, you've given us this idea. We, we feel like it's feasible, so we're going to try this. But we're not going to be married to this strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Andy Stanley would say, you know, you marry the mission, you date the strategy. I think I, right. I, I may yeah. mess that up, but something of that nature. And I always love that real life that you particularly were, were was like that. That hey, this strategy, this is just is just what we have right now. This is what the Holy Spirit has led us to do right now. Our mission is we're going to do whatever we can to help people find and follow Jesus. That's never going to change. How we go about that, we're always going to be open-handed to that, right? Mm. And so when you look back over the last 20 years and you look at some of the things you did and didn't do, what what would be some of the things that you would say, okay, yeah, I would have, I, I wish we would have started that. I wish we would have stopped this. And I wish we would have changed this thing. Wow. So Ooh. start, stop, change. Yeah. I wish we would have started Alpha a lot sooner than we did. Oh, man. Alpha has been unbelievable. And I, I saw it work at the church in Kentucky. And for 20 years, I sat on that idea. I bring it up every now and then. We never had anybody that was going to own it. And I knew I couldn't do it. And it took us 20 years to pull it off. And I wish we'd done it for the last 20. It's just yeah. been amazing. Um, I think there were times when we worked so hard to be really like creative or... You know, we did a musical one time in the coffee house. We uh, we took a big swing and renovated a building down in Newhall uh, to do a, a secondary campus. And here again, it was a good idea, but it wasn't where people were coming from. Yeah. And so it was a lot of sideways energy to get people to go down to it. But, you know, in Santa Clarita, you take the building you can get, and that's right. the one we got. And I wish, wish we hadn't done that. Um, and I even think campuses, you yeah. know, I, I think that we, we've tried campuses multiple ways and multiple times, and they've had some success and some not. But the one thing that has worked constantly is online. Yeah. And as we've talked about before with the hybrid church model and James Emery White and that incredible book, yes. I wish we'd have just really gone in a lot more into online and less into how do we multiply ourselves. Yeah. 
Um, and I love our church planning effort, you know, just being able to create and launch more churches. So, you know, there's a few things uh, I guess I would change. I guess I, I wish I, we would have started uh, doing more churches a lot sooner yeah. because I just see the the fruit from all of that. Yeah, I, yeah, real life's online presence. I mean, that that honestly, that's a DNA. Once you guys started online, mm. it, ha- it has taken off. It has been a, a DNA part art of real life forever and multi-site you know i was at a conference once and i told some i was speaking and i told the audience i said you know there's no there's no wrong way to do multi-site until you do the wrong way <laughs> like i found many yeah yeah and so you you have to try all kinds of um different avenues for that but mm-hmm. um okay well behind the man the myth the legend of rusty george and your 20 years of real life we all know that you're not just lead pastor rusty george mm. but you're also husband rusty you're also father rusty mm-hmm. father meaning dad right um right. 20 years of leading a church that was small in its infancy and it you know grew the holy spirit blessed it how did you balance or how have you let's let's yeah it's not past tense it's present tense have you balanced being pastor husband and father yeah um We've quoted him several times today, but Andy Stanley's book, Choosing to Cheat, which I think is now renamed to something else, um, was huge. You know, you're going to cheat work or you're going to cheat home. Choose to cheat work. Yeah. And when I first came out here, you know, we had one daughter, nine months old, and I just decided, and I learned this from Mike Bro because he was so adamant about going home at a certain time, being at all of his kids' events. Bro was epic for forgetting elders meetings because he was at kids his kids events and we'd have to call him oh i didn't know you know cuz obviously he was more focused on home and i loved that about him so one of the things that has helped me is lori's um, love language is quality time yeah i think if her quality if her love language had been you know acts of service or gifts um, i would have stayed at work a lot longer and just brought her a gift mm. but because it was quality time and because we were all we had yeah, you know we didn't have right. any family out here um, we we just made a priority I was going to be home by 4:30 hmm. every day and I was going to I was going to treat my days off as sacred hmm. now I've definitely violated that I've definitely gone home but still been on the computer or then the phone um, but I think you know having that hard stop time, was not only good for my family, but it was also really good for my soul because I had a, a time I shut things off. I even stopped reading ministry books at home because it felt too much like work. So I started reading business books or sports books just as a way to, uh, to relax. But one of the best compliments I've received from my kids was uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, Lindsay, has been in school now for a couple of years in college, and she met somebody who was a pastor's kid, and and uh, he was talking about how his dad was a workaholic, and Lindsay said, "Oh, I don't even know what that's like because my dad was home all the time," and I was so honored by that because I thought, "Wow, that that uh, that is what I was trying to achieve," you yeah. know. So I, I think, you know, having those hard stops and, you know, the commitments that I'd make, was there more I could do? Absolutely. You know, could I have made another phone call or written another message uh, instead of going home, sitting on the couch and watching American Idol? Yeah. Yeah. But it'll wait. Yeah. And God's bigger and he'll take care of it. And uh, what I learned is, you know what, it's I, I'm just here for a little while. So that's the one mission I have to be good at. 
So the other little thing that I picked up on, and I owe Alan Smith a tremendous amount of gratitude for this because he taught me this when I first got here. He said, you got a daughter? I said, yep. I only had one at the time. He said, when she gets to kindergarten, um, you start doing overnight daddy-daughter dates. Mm. And I said, tell me more. And he said, you just put it on the calendar, and she gets to pick where, and you're going to go somewhere and do something fun. And by the time she's 16, 17, 18, um, she'll be the one planning them and so excited about them. And that was true. I did that with both girls, and they each had different tastes in what they wanted to do. I said we wouldn't get on a plane until yeah. junior high, <laughs> uh, which I think it turned into high school. But just really fun things that it became a we're always going to do this. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you know, try to take them out to lunch once a week and all that, you know, the daddy-daughter dates during the week. But having two daughters, that was a, that was a big thing for me. Man, that's so good. I, I, I think about all the things I got wrong as a dad, mm. trying to be a pastor and husband at the same time. And um, it has been an absolute privilege and honor to watch you lead your family uh, in the years that I've known you. And uh, incredibly grateful for mm. for the example that you set for the staff, and I think that's most important, is that if you're not doing it, then the expectation for the staff to do it is, mm. is hard to keep. And so, I think I speak on behalf of all of former and current staff of Real Life to say thank you so much for loving and leading your family so well. Um, and I'm sure if Lori and Sid and Lindsay were here, they they'd have great stories to tell about the how, good yeah. times and the bad times. How I failed epically, yes, <laughs> yeah. definitely. So, Rusty. 20 years, you've been in ministry a lot longer than that, but 20 years as a lead pastor, probably 30, 40 years as a, as a pastor in general. Um, young leader sitting across from you, what's the, what's, the, what's the one piece of advice? If you only had one advice to give him or her, what would that be? Mm. You're a Christian first, mm. so love Jesus. You know, you should love Jesus more today than you did a year ago or 10 years ago. And as much as I hate the really dark times we've been through in seasons here at, at Real Life and in ministry, it was during those times I felt closer to Jesus, yeah. you know? And those are the things that I that I reflect on. Man, I got this great piece of advice from Dave Stone. Mm, Dave the, Stone. The other day, he was talking about his, you know, 30 years at Southeast Christian Church, and he said, I saved every negative letter. Wow. And I thought, not me, man. Yeah. I shredded those things. <laughs> and he said, no, I saved it and put it in a file because then, like, after, you know, a couple times a year, I'd go back and read them and realize, huh, God brought me through that. Yeah. Wow. We survived that. Everybody didn't leave. The church didn't fold. That person came around or, you know, they never told me their name or whatever. You know, you just begin to see you lived through it. And I, I wish I'd done that because I'd have a file full as well. But just to be able to say, you know what, God is faithful. And if you're, if you're a Christian first and a pastor second, I think that um, that will save you a, a, a world of, of hurt. Man, that's good. Okay. Be a Christian first. I, I got to remember that. <laughs> that's my first job. Um, mentors, families, just people who've mean, meant so much to you over these last 20 years of leading real life. Uh, what would you? What would be one uh, message that you have for them? Well, I mean, I think about the people I've worked with very closely: uh, Fred Gray, Jeremy Vanderlinden, Debbie Robert, you know, Erica Watkins, Michael Hinton, <laughs> all of our campus pastors. The the team that I do videos with, from uh, you know Clayton and Curtis and Carlos and 
you get pretty close with those guys, especially yeah. during COVID. I felt like yeah. I saw them more than my family, you know? <laughs> um, boy, I, I know I'm, I'm missing some people, but our, our board of directors, I'm just so grateful for their patience. I know there were times that I would come up with the most ridiculous idea and they would just look at each other like, just let him talk, you know? <laughs> He'll forget about it tomorrow. But learning how to just give me grace and know when to have the hard conversation with me, um, they have been so, so helpful. And um, very rarely have I had like a, I mean, there's been a couple times there's been like a coup, mm. you know, mounting from, from somewhere. But those guys have always had my back and always encouraged me through everything. And uh, they just, uh, they've just been great. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful for them all. Yeah. Wow. Well, I say this on, on my behalf, and now that I don't work for you, it actually means more when I say it now. Because mm. I used to say it, and I always thought, well, people probably just think I say it because I work for you. But um, in the scriptures, uh, I think in the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about, there's this parable of the five talents. Mm. And, you know, um, the one who takes the little and produces much mm-hmm. is a five-talent leader, mm. five-talent pastor, five-talent person, five talent of integrity, of trust. Um, and I've, since the day of the coffee shop in Palmdale, California, <laughs> I have admired your leadership. I admire your posture, your integrity, the, your willingness and grace to, um, to to people. Some people who we we know didn't deserve it, but yet you would just extend it and extend it and extend it. You extended grace to me. You allowed me to come on this team. Mm. You allowed me to fail. You allowed me to mess up. And you had my back the whole way through. Um I tell people this all the time. I'll say it till I take my last breath. I'll say it long after you're gone <laughs> if I write a book about you. Yeah. But you have been not just a leader, not just a husband, not just a father, but a, a person worth following. Hmm. You have you you mean that much to our family. And uh, I know on behalf of all of those who've previously hmm. served here in real life, thank you so much for your for the faithful 20 years. Thanks. that you've given this place and thank you for what comes next whatever comes next mm-hmm. however many more years you continue to lead here that the Lord have you here we're, we're so grateful for that the city is so grateful that the kingdom of heaven is so grateful for your faithfulness thank you Michael I really appreciate that it means a lot yes sir alright well thank you for listening today would love for you to subscribe to the podcast and uh, if there's anything else see you later Well, thanks so much for listening. I don't know if you got anything out of it, but I certainly was blessed by the memories, but more importantly, the remembering of how God was so faithful. I made a lot of leadership gaffes, but he is so faithful to advance his church because it's always been his long before I ever got to take the helm. I'm so grateful it will be his long after I am gone as well. God has been so faithful, and I know he'll be faithful to you as well. And I'd love to hear from you. Uh, If this podcast helped you out, you can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at RustyLGeorge and go to my website, PastorRustyGeorge.com. Thanks to Subsplash for their participation in the podcast and sponsorship. Make sure you check them out at Subsplash.com. Next week, back with brand new content where I get to interview once again one of my favorite authors, Pastor Mark Batterson. He was on a couple of years ago with his new book, Win the Day, which was fantastic. And now he's got a brand new book, Simplifying Life into Three Basic Statements That You Got to Know. Uh, It'll be awesome. I'm not sure if that's good English, but I liked it. So we like things that are simple. 
And we're going to simplify all of that next week in my conversation with Mark Batterson. Well, thanks for listening. Hit subscribe, share it with a friend, and as always, keep it simple. Keep it simple.